to another great episode of The Bourbon Road with your hosts, Jim and Brian, where they talk bourbon and, of course, drink bourbon. Grab yourself a pour, kick back, and enjoy another trip down the bourbon road. excited to have blandsbourbonshop.com as a new sponsor for the bourbon road podcast in fact this podcast is brought to you by blanton's bourbon shop blantonsbourbonshop.com is the only official merchandiser for blanton's the original single barrel looking for a unique gift blanton's bourbon shop has got you covered blantonsbourbonshop.com is your home for all blanton's gifts You know, friends, it's never too early to start planning your trip to the Bourbon Trail for 2023. We hope you'll join the Bourbon Road crew as we pull out all the stops this year at Bourbon on the Banks. So mark your calendars for October 6th and 7th, and we'll plan on seeing you in Frankfort, Kentucky. Be sure to listen in during the halftime break for all the details on Bourbon on the Banks. Our guest today. So our guest, this is kind of a fun show. And I think we ought to do this more than once. And, and I'll kind of explain that later as we talk more about this. But uh, our guest is, uh, is not a real person. Our guest is, uh, we'll just call her Chatty. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> I think that's perfect. Yeah. Okay. So Chatty's coming <laughs> on the show today, and and this uh, this is going to be uh, a dive into OpenAI and kind of what OpenAI thinks about the bourbon industry, the whiskey industry in general, kind of trends, expectations, predictions. Even though a lot of times predictions aren't in the in the generative AI's capabilities, but we'll certainly talk about um, some of those predictions. I've got a number of questions that I posed uh, to the AI bot, and uh, and we'll talk about how we do that, why what we ask, and how we ask it's important. Uh, I think we asked four or five questions, big questions, all kinds of whiskey questions that people people want to know. But we'll see what the answers were and uh, what Chatty thinks is going to happen in the bourbon world in the future. So I'm excited. I've spent quite a bit of time on. Uh chat GPT on BARD and just playing around and doing lots of different things, obviously for work. Uh, talked to a lot of folks that are in, uh, you know, the academia world and, and all that good stuff. I have a brother that that's a professor out in California. And so, the, you know, this is something that's really moving. And, and I even talked to a kid that finishes freshman year of college uh you know a few weeks ago and he said chat gpt wrote all of his papers for him so that's kind of the world that that we're in now so yeah there's a lot of questions surrounding that and a lot of uh concerns as well and we'll talk a little bit about that stuff today's today's going to be kind of a fun show and we'll talk about the questions we asked and the answers we got back and specifically how uh when you're asking these kind of questions how you can get the most out of it and like you mentioned, you, you and I both work in the industry. I deal every day with uh, generative AI. Uh, in my day job, I write software using generative AI to do um, predictive things and auto-generative things and 
know, just all around kind of marketing stuff. So it's kind of cool. But um, today, I, or today, yesterday actually is when I did this. I, I did it for fun. And it was just, let's see what we can find out about the bourbon world. But today, what are we drinking, Brian? I'm excited. Yeah. This is Weller 12. And, you know, obviously it's been very popular over the years. And it's just a fantastic, fantastic bourbon. Uh, you know, I think it was last year, even on Yellowstone, it, it was on that show and everybody got all upset again. Like, yeah. why are you showing stuff nobody can get? And, uh, but this, I think this is one of the first ones that, really helped me to fall in love with bourbon. I love weeded. Um, so this one's always kind of special. You know, I, I've been very fortunate over the years to have several bottles of this, probably more than several bottles, but uh, I really do love this one. Yeah, I don't think I've <clears throat> ever been without a bottle on my shelf. And the one I have left right now is getting kind of low. I think after you and I have our pour for the show today, there might be one more pour left and then I'll be in search of another bottle. And, uh, you know, you just, you just gotta hope and, uh, remember, but I've been lucky enough that I don't visit it often and so often that it just, I run out. That's right. <clears throat> got, enough, got enough alternatives up there to keep me busy. <laughs> but, uh, when's the last time you had Weller 12? Wow, that is a really good question. It it's been a while. I mean, it's been more than six months for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah. That's usually whenever somebody comes over and visits, they look across my shelf mm -hmm. and they see a number of the B tacks up there and the Willets and the Th Taylors and all that stuff, and then they see those Wellers and they're like, "Oh, I want the Weller 12. <laughs> so it <laughs> that's usually right. gets hit pretty good by guests. All right. Well, cheers. Cheers. First bourbon of the day. Wow. Such a deep, rich, and uh, oaky flavor to this. It is. It's uh, nice and soft, though. It doesn't uh, bite into the front of your palate at all. But, man, it's, it's a little creamy. It's got a nice... Uh, Nice, deep caramel baking spice flavor to it. A little bit of cherry. You know, when, when I haven't had this for a long time and go back, I mean, you're right. It is rich. It's very oaky and you don't, I guess sometimes I lose uh, my memory on what this is until I get it. And then it's like, yeah, that that's why I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I actually bought a case of this in 2015, 2015 or so. Um, I got lucky, went into the store. The guy said, hey, I got this Weller 12. I was like, oh, cool. I like that stuff. I liked it. You know, it's good stuff. And. And I was, uh, he was selling it for, I want to say 40 or $45 a bottle, something like that, which at the time was pretty good price. Right. And, uh, so I bought the whole case he didn't mind. He wasn't trying. So it was a different time back then. Right. But I shared, I split the case with a friend and mine went pretty quick because I just drank it and he still, I think he still has some of his. So, wow. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? That is awesome. A long time ago. Yeah, it's uh, 
you know, when you think back when you could get different bottles very easily, you know, whether it was, I mean, heck, even now, Buffalo Trace, you used to be able to just walk up and grab these things and just think about how many bottles you went through. I can remember a time when Elmer T. Lee was not that difficult to get. Um, and I'll look back at how many of those I drank and I always feel really guilty, like, wow, we went through those pretty quick. And uh, even the commemorative bottles uh, and, and different things. So, you know, we, we all, I think, appreciate these much more now than than we even did back then, even though we loved Weller 12, uh, the fact that you can't just walk in and grab them. We, we hold on to them a little bit tighter. Yeah, we do. And I think most of the bottles on my bar that are allocated, hard to put your hands on, uh, they tend to last a lot longer in my possession mm-hmm. because I treat them differently than I would, you know, a daily drinker. Well, I think it's cool, too, the where we're moving in the industry. You know, you think about all these finishes that are out there and, and the Ambarana finishes that we've had recently and different things that you have so many options that you're not stuck on going to that one that you really love that maybe you're just hanging on to share with other folks. You know, you can you can taste through so many uh different types of whiskeys that are that are out there now that i mean i'm looking at your your bar and it's uh it's impressive like you you can pick many different things to to drink and uh you don't have to sit on the colonel taylors or the wellers and right different things like that exactly exactly all right so uh, let's talk a little bit about some of the questions that we asked of chatty Right. And uh, and one of the things that I I have to state in advance here is we're talking about this, that uh, one of the. I should say one of the. Most difficult things to do when dealing with a generative AI model uh, is is how to pose your question, because it's not as simple as just English language saying, hey, give me this, give me that, how you word it, the way you use your words, the way you stipulate how it should be formatted, what references to use, if you supply any baseline data along with your question. All of those things can drastically affect the outcome. You can also set what they call the temperature of the response, right? Do you want it, the, temp- the response to be more random or more fixed? And uh, so I, I did want to say that because I, I don't want to go through while we're doing this and read what I put in my prompts because they're... Some, for some people, they might be nonsensical, right? But the prompts were uh, largely developed to elicit what I would hope to be a relatively sane and accurate response. These are prediction kind of things, so they're not going to be too, they can't be guaranteed to be accurate, but they might give us some insight. But I think when we hear Chatty's response, maybe we'll have our own based on our experience as well. So the first question that I asked was um, basically, and I'm going to put this in my words rather than how the prompt was formed, but basically I said, hey, we all see what's happened in the uh, craft brewing industry over the past 10 years. Can we expect a similar outcome for craft distilleries? Can we expect the market to follow those same trends? 
And, uh, but I had, I could, you know, if I simply ask the question in that way, it's going to say, sorry, I can't predict things. You have to give it some base data. You're going to say, we saw this happen and this happened and this happened. Based on that flow, would you predict a similar outcome for whiskey? Well, yes, of course, since they're both in the same, you know, uh, alcoholic drink segment of the market, then we would expect similar things. But so over the last 10 years, the craft brewing industry has experienced significant growth and transformation. Here's some of the key market trends, all right? Rapid expansion. So they predict, Chatty predicts, and, and we can see that already is true, that we had rapid expansion in, in the craft market. I'm not talking about whiskey in general, and bourbon in general, but in the, in the craft segment of the market, it's been a boom, right? I mean, how many distilleries do we have now? I had to feed some of that information in. How many distilleries did we have last year? I mean, distilleries the year before. The same thing with trends in the in the in the beer market. Uh, the number two thing that it predicted uh, that the, of course there would be a continuation of this rapid expansion, but there would be some consolidation. So my next question I posed to Chatty, and we won't get into that yet, but it was specifically about consolidation. But uh, the second thing that uh, Chatty predicted was that the styles would uh, diversify even more. That we would see, you know, for example, with bourbon, we saw bourbon's very strict structure, right? Bourbon is this. And then we start to see a yeah, bourbon butt finished like this, you know, and uh, and then, you know, then we've got other styles of American whiskey. So I pose the question as American whiskey rather than bourbon. And uh, we'll continue to see the prediction was from Chatty that we'll continue to see uh, the styles and sub styles continue to diversify and grow larger, particularly on a regional basis. So where the, you said Amberana, right? We may see Amberana really become a thing in Georgia, but not so much in Kentucky, right? Interesting. Interesting. The third point was that uh, they'll become a, they'll, they'll start to focus more. The craft, the craft industry will start to focus more on local terroir and regional sales. In other words, less drive for national markets, more drive for regional markets. You know, a lot of brands we see nowadays are fighting for that national market, right? They want to hit that national market because that's where the money is if they're going to get bought up by a big, big brand. But the regional markets is where the play is, according to Chatty. So, And I mean, that that is super interesting if you think about it, because all of the challenges that come along with trying to take something national uh, from a shipping standpoint. I mean, everything involved. I mean, it's just, there's a lot that goes into it. So that's a, it's an interesting take. Yeah. That it, it, it tends to, you know, although we'll see an expansion in the industry as a whole, we'll start to see it more focused regionally, which is pretty wild. And we, you know, we kind of saw this in the thirties, forties, fifties, sixties, seventies with colas. Same kind of thing, right? Wow, so amazing. Uh, also a prediction that education and whiskey culture will continue to be a driving force. So um, 
in other words, brands that don't embrace the culture of whiskey won't necessarily see the upside as much as they could if they embrace the culture. So a lot of people say, you know, I, I don't have a story for my brand, right. you know, well, maybe that's not a good thing, right? Maybe your brand needs to have a story. It needs yeah. to have something behind it that adds to the culture of whiskey. Because I think a lot of whiskey people, cigar people, beer people, you know, they, they're, they're interested in that culture. Uh, tourism will gain momentum significantly over the next five years. More tours, more tastings, more um, destination distilleries is what it says. Destination distillery. Do you think that kind of, maybe I'm off here, but do you feel like that kind of plays into one of the previous responses for regional-based uh, distilleries that maybe aren't going national? So when you think about folks that are traveling to uh you know, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky, or somewhere in North Carolina or somewhere else, you know, where they have some whiskey. And uh, I just wonder how that all plays together. I think, I think a couple of these do play together, particularly like, let's take, for example, like the George Washington distillery up in Virginia, right? That's definitely a destination distillery. It's got a huge story with it, right? Great cultural background story and George Washington as a distiller, that's a big draw. Um, you know, the, uh, the distilleries that are, um, near, uh, tourist destinations like in, uh, Gatlinburg, Gatlinburg places like that, unreal, the traffic they get, uh, people, you know, who have, who have a, uh, uh an interest in spirits or whiskeys, moonshine, whatever it might be, are drawn to those places whenever they go to those venues. So, I'm always sold. Yeah. Uh, wherever I go, anywhere in the country, if I see wineries or breweries or distilleries, then I know that I can go in and I can pay a, a dollar or five dollars and taste uh, different things. I, I'm sold every time. I think my family probably is sick of me saying, okay, we got to stop at this one. Let's stop here. Let's stop there. But yeah, I enjoy it. Yeah. Well, I feel like, um, the craft brewing industry is five to eight years ahead of the craft distillery industry. And Chatty has told us, and this is her summary. Chatty says, overall, the craft whiskey industry is expected to follow a trajectory similar to craft brewing with a focus on quality, innovation, and consumer education, leading to an expanded market and a diverse range of artisanal whiskey options. So <laughs> I kind of felt that too. Right. Yeah, and I truly believe it will follow very closely what's happened. You know, you would have expected that, and I think that the big brands like uh, InBev and uh, Constellation and any other big people like that, like big brands, big owners, felt like craft was just a pain in their behind. It's not a pain in their behind. It's the market. It's the market now. It's yeah. the market. It sure is. Pretty cool stuff. <laughs> I mean, that, it always surprises me sometimes the answers that I get back. Uh, and we're using the 
the Da Vinci 3.5 turbo model right now. Okay. So, uh, and I forget what the temperature I set on it was, but um, relatively tight temperature on it. I didn't want it to get too. The higher you raise the temperature, the more chance it has to hallucinate. And I didn't want it mm-hmm. to hallucinate. I wanted to keep it real. <laughs> right. Sometimes you get some interesting answers as you try to, you take the, le- the leashes off of uh, chat GPT mm-hmm. or whatever it is oh, you're yeah. using. So if you're, if folks, if you're wanting to do some of this on your own, obviously, if you're not familiar with chat GPT, you can just go to ChatGPT.com or chat at openai.com. And you can also go to Bing and you can do the, uh, the AI search feature on Bing, and both of those will give you results similar to these. I will say this much, uh, using ChatGPT without paying the upgrade, you're going to be limited uh, to version three of the model, which which is what we use today for this. Um, if you go to Bing, though, you can hit version four, which is a lot more stops are pulled out, but a lot more chance of some hallucinating results. But that that's what I use. Uh, whenever I'm using it for work or anything, but actually I, I just did one, uh, just for the fun of it, just see what would happen. I mean, I, I kind of knew what it was going to say, Yeah. you know, just what's the best bourbon. Ah. <laughs> what would be your guess, Jim? Well, uh, if you're using, you're using which one? Four. You're using four. Okay. So it's up to date. 3.5 is limited to 2021. So what's the best bourbon today? It's probably going to talk about Pappy. You're right. Pappy Van Winkle's Family Reserve. There you go. Number two is Blanton's. Number three is Buffalo Trace. Number four is Maker Mark. Uh, Maker's Mark. And then number five is Elijah Craig Small Batch. Do you concur? <laughs> I may switch the order up a little bit, right. but, but no, I mean, you can't, can't go wrong. So based on what we've, based on what you and I know and our, how plugged we are into the industry, can you say what Chatty told us is wrong? Do you think it's, uh, has a higher than average probability of being correct? I do. Um, and, and the, you know, it's scary to say that. And there's a lot of different thoughts and emotions that come along with using something like this. But, you know, I'd, I do feel like it, it's probably going to perform really well with some of these predictions. Uh, but, wow, I mean, who would have thought 18 months ago, you know, that we would even have this conversation? Exactly. It's continually learning. I mean, we're feeding the machine and is learning off of all of our prompts and all the millions of people using these tools. So it's only going to get more, more and more sophisticated, smarter along the way. Um, sometimes I don't even have words to express how all that makes me feel because I, I do have concerns about it. I have excitement about it. I think there's all kinds of cool ways to look at it. All right, next question on the, we're going to do two questions. We'll take a short break. When we come back, we'll do the other three. Um, and then, of course, Brian, feel free to pop something into the, the chat bot there anytime you want. Um, the next question I asked was had to do with consolidation. So uh, we have seen some consolidation take place. We've seen uh, distilleries come in and buy other distilleries and try to, you know, consolidate you know, a lot of that. And a lot of these younger 
craft distilleries are looking forward to that. That's their end game, right? They want to be bought up. Some of them don't want to be bought up. But nevertheless, you know, do we expect to see more of that? And the response was... The bourbon industry has seen significant growth and popularity in recent years, but both domestically and internationally. And as a result, consolidation with the industry is expected. Larger companies will seek smaller companies to expand their portfolios and increase market share. They're buying for two things. They're buying for brand and they're buying for market penetration and distribution. Those are the things they're after. Do they care? Sometimes it's it's companies that are coming in and buying um, outside their normal portfolios. So, for example, a wine company, a wine distributor wants to get into the whiskey industry, right? A wine company or wine. Wants it. So they'll come in and they'll buy whiskey companies in order to get into that market. They want to be dealing in that market. I found that interesting when I was uh, in California last year around this time. <clears throat> we were driving around. Uh, and going to all these wineries and, and they really, they're getting into the whiskey game. Yeah. Yeah. It also talks about, and Chatty also mentioned the fact that a lot of these uh, consolidations happen for intellectual property as well. Not just the brand itself, but the knowledge of how to deal in the industry connections to distribution, you know, how to market whiskey brands. That's a special ability. For example, your company, you guys have connections with uh, other companies that are trying to market their wares. And one way for a company to get to you is to go through purchasing one of the companies you deal with. So pretty cool stuff. Uh, regulate, regulatory factors. Yeah, a lot of times companies outside the U.S. find the way to own companies inside the U.S. So to, to beat certain regulatory issues. So the answer is yes, we expect to see more consolidation. However, it says here that don't don't um, don't predict consolidation will lead to national distribution for smaller brands. So in other words, like uh, let's say you come in and you buy Joe's bourbon, Kentucky bourbon whiskey, right? And he's got great distribution in Kentucky. That doesn't mean that you're going to be able to take that national. It may still be a, a local or regional brand. Pretty cool stuff. I was hoping with this particular question, and I probably should have changed my prompt a little bit to tell it to limit the response to two or three sentences that summarize, because sometimes you get back a page or two. And it's, it's the last thing you want, right? All right, Brian. Well... I'm getting a little low on my Weller 12. How you doing? Getting, uh, you're doing all I right. Might, I might be doing okay. All right, so let's take a short break. What do you say? We come back, we got Perfect. three more questions. We're going to talk a little bit about the secondary market. We'll ask some Pappy-related questions. <laughs> and then we'll talk about growth. Because everybody wants to know, is the bourbon boom over? Well, let's see what Chad has to say about yeah. that. All right, we'll be right back. Bourbon Shop has got you covered. 
All of their handcrafted wood products are made in their in-house wood shop with authentic bourbon barrels. Specializing in barrel-aged potent treats, they use Blanton's barrels to age their own maple syrup, honey, and coffee. Find the most unique gift ideas for your golf lover, cigar connoisseur, avid coffee drinker, and Blanton's fan. Want to win an authentic Blanton's barrel head? Make sure you sign up for the giveaway on the homepage of their website. Blanton'sBourbonShop.com is your home for all Blanton's gifts. As we mentioned earlier in the show, we hope you'll join us this fall on October 6th and 7th for Bourbon on the Banks. The festival itself is from 2 to 6 p.m. on October the 7th, and you can pick those tickets up at bourbononthebanks.org for $65. They also have an early access ticket for $75. It'll get you in an hour early and definitely get you access to some special pours. But if you always like that VIP access, this year they're bringing in the VIP access tickets. They'll give you access to their VIP tent and all the great things that go along with that for $175. Be sure to check out bourbononthebanks.org. You'll get all the details on this year's event. All right, so folks, so we are back, and uh, during the first half, had a nice conversation. We both drank a little bit of Weller 12. In the second half, we've got three more questions for our guest, Chatty, ChatGPT, right? And uh, we're going to drink some Weller Foolproof this time. When's the last time you had Weller Foolproof? Weller Foolproof, I believe the last time I had it was with Tyler... On an episode, yeah, uh, maybe back in December or January, somewhere in that range. Um, so yeah, that was that was my last one. What about you? Uh, I think that's the last time as well. So yeah, not very often. Uh, this is actually a pick, but uh, you know, I don't. It, to me, it's well or foolproof. It's just the picks are a little different from each other, but for the most part, they're not too much off like profile usually, right? right. You know, my first bottle of, of Weller Foolproof that I had actually won it in a poker game. Oh, you did? I sure did. How long did it last? That's a that's a uh, sensitive topic. <laughs> it is. Someone got into my liquor cabinet um, and decided to mix it with Diet Coke in a Yeti and drank about half of it and didn't realize what they were drinking. So oh my goodness. I hope they enjoyed it. They were feeling it. Yeah. Let's just, I bet half we the can bottle, leave it at I that. guess so. <laughs> All right. So in the first half, we asked two questions of uh, the OpenAI model, chat GPT model, 3.5 DaVinci. And the questions we asked had to do with uh, the trends, expected trends in the bourbon market and, you know, what we can expect to see from consolidation in the bourbon market. So I think I think we pretty much agree that uh, I, I think Chatty was kind of on point there. I, I don't disagree with any of it, really. Some of it is predictive, so you can't be 100% sure, but, you know, it's based on a lot of uh, a lot of text 
I mean, the large language models have trillions of words and trillions of sites that they've, you know, millions of sites that they've scanned. And I think the general uh, consensus there is probably that we can expect growth similar to that in the beer industry. And we can, we can expect some consolidation to continue as big brands gobble up smaller brands, maybe at a, a more rapid pace, but they shouldn't expect those little brands to to go to go national in every in every instance. So And I think I I love that. Yeah. Like I really do. I mean there there's a a great spot for national brands and and all that good stuff, but I do love just like we talked about with travel and tourist destinations. I love the fact that you can travel somewhere and get a totally different experience uh whether that's a tour or tasting or it's just unique. So that makes your, your trip or your vacation, whatever it is, all that more, much more special. So do you remember, and, and so I, I was trying to think of an example in the beer industry. Cause we, we, we asked it, we asked chatty to compare and contrast the, the beer industry with the whiskey industry. I was trying to think of an example in the beer industry of consolidation that went bad. Do you remember a brand called, Ballast Point. They had the they had the beer called Sculpin. I don't know if I do. Yeah, San Diego brand. Uh, actually, they had uh, a pretty big facility in Miramar. You remember Top Gun Miramar area, right? I went to the very last air show. Did you at Miramar when I was in the Navy? There you go. A uh, pretty big brand hit it nationally. Um, gained tremendous acceptance nationwide. And uh, Constellation Brands, primarily a wine distributor company, you know, a wine company, uh, purchased them for $1 billion. B, billion with a B. And uh, basically couldn't really do much with it. Congrats to the guys who started Ballast Point, who walked away with <laughs> a fantastic amount of money. But Constellation failed to launch on that purchase, you know, and, uh, and just recently, uh, within the past, I don't know how long it's been, but have, have turned around and sold, uh, Ballast Point again to a Chicago based, um, investment firm, which is tied to a brewery in California for about one tenth the price or so. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Just crazy how, how that went wrong. But there's an example of buying into something and expecting it to launch you, and it doesn't. It didn't in that case. So there's a lot of lessons to be learned there. Another example, uh, and this is, has nothing to do with consolidation, but it has to do with you know, national versus regional markets. Are you familiar with the Anchor Steam Brewing Company? I am. Yes. Yeah, so that's Fritz Maytag mm -hmm. started that. And uh, that brand, again, has something. It's got a great story. Uh, the whiskeys are really good. The whiskeys, I'm sorry. The the beers are really good, uh, and they they really got national distribution locked up, doing fantastic. But seventy percent of their sales are in California, even though they're nationwide. Seventy percent of their sales are in Ca in California, and seventy percent of their effort is spent fighting national battles. So, what do you think they're going to do? They're going to drop national distribution. In fact, they have dropped national distribution. They've decided to only be a regional brand because of the, of the massive success that they have in their regional market. 
they can cut their costs tremendously by not fighting for a national presence. Well, I think about all these, you know, uh, beers that <clears throat> that you see in other states, and then you start to see them trickle in. You know, Yingling. We didn't have that in Kentucky for up until what three or four years ago. Yeah, three somewhere or four in years, that range. something, yeah. four or five, something yeah. like that. I yep. mean, somewhere, somewhere in that. But you know, it's it's a brand that people know and that they love and they enjoy. We just never had it here. So there's a slow expansion, too, sometimes for folks, but uh, very interesting. Yeah. All right. So the next question posed to Chatty had to do with the secondary market. And the, the, the gist of my question is, do we expect the secondary market to be a primary source for allocated and hard-to-get bourbons? Do we continue Do we expect that? Those prices will continue to be, you know, going up. Um, will they be? Will those bourbons continue to be hard to acquire? You know, what can we expect from the secondary market in the future? And really, because of the limitations of ChatGPT three, it kind of said, you know, I, I, you've given me some data to go on, and I had to pump some data in. But you've given me some data to go on. But even even with that, it's hard to predict what future prices are gonna do. However, uh, we do expect the trend to continue. In other words, we expect the trend of the secondary market uh, to be a primary source for allocated whiskeys to continue. Whether or not those prices are gonna continue to rise or not is something that the, the chat bot just couldn't wrap its brain around, you know, but, but will it continue? And the answer is yes, it's gonna continue. <laughs> And we haven't seen a dip in it. So we haven't really seen uh, that trend line sort of peaking and dropping off, right? Right. You know, it's interesting, too. The secondary market's not just limited to whiskey. There's secondary market for beer as well. And, and you know, there's other spirits, uh, wine and, uh, you know, I've seen tequila uh, as well. Secondary market's there, but... I do really believe that there's some very intelligent people, much higher levels than, than us, uh, that can impact those prices in a way, uh, you know, whether it's when things are released, uh, where they go to. I mean, you know, I, I got out of the secondary market a long time ago, Jim, and, and part of it was because I got sick of, waiting in line at uh, the liquor store and then watching somebody just walk in front of that line because they had greased somebody in the store and, you know, they're able to get in there and get the bottles that you were looking for. They walk out before the doors are even opened up with a box full of bourbon. So it's, uh, it's an interesting, uh, interesting way to do things, but, I'm I'm not a fan yeah. of the secondary market. I'm not a fan either. And you know, I, I here's what I get from Chatty on this. Um, as long as, and this is kind of similar to the stock market. As long as the demand outpaces the supply, uh, we're going to see uh, a, a lot of secondary market activity. It's always going to. So there's two ways to combat this. One is uh, increased supply. Increased supply will 
put a hamper on it. Uh, the other way is to reduce demand. How do you reduce demand? It's no longer in fad. Nobody cares about it anymore. For the moment, we've heard what she had to say in part one of this episode, and that is that the, that the, the, the excitement for the industry is going to continue to grow. So we can expect probably the secondary market to continue to grow as well and the demand for the product to continue as well. So I think that, you know, uh, we can probably expect, uh, and, and another thing that, that she said was, and I, I, I put a female connotation to chatty. I, I don't know if that's correct or not, but why not? We don't get too many females. It's maybe guests. because Siri and yeah, yeah, could be Alexa. Um, she did mention that, uh, Efforts to combat the secondary market have been largely unsuccessful, not just in the whiskey industry, but in other uh, areas as well. And you mentioned the bourbon, uh, the, the beer world and places like that. Um, we even, even think electronics, yeah. the secondary market, you know, iPhones being released or game systems. You yeah. Know. So any of those efforts to curb that secondary market is largely ineffective. So that's not going to fix it, no matter how hard they try. Uh, the only thing that's going to fix it are, are issues related to supply and demand. Demand decreases or supply increases. Do we expect them to make more Pappy? We do. Yeah, I think they will. Why not? Will it be enough? Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> and I think there's, you know, there's a lot of reasons behind that, but you know, even when you think about the secondary market and talking about ways to curb that and regulate it, I mean, you know, some of the recent news over the last few months, you know, with uh, with a, a local place here in Louisville and in Lexington that got their hands slapped a little bit, they look like they were doing some things and probably going to be in quite a bit of trouble and everything is just kind of okay now. So, you know, there, there's people that are definitely trying to slow that down, but I think that for whatever reason, it's not going to happen. I mean, it's it's been proven time and time again, even when authorities get involved, it, nothing's going to happen. And when was it proven at the highest level during Prohibition? Right. Right? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, here's the... Uh, Here's the summary sentence, uh, the summary paragraph for this. Chatty says, ultimately, whether high secondary market prices for bourbons can continue at their current level will depend on a multitude of factors and market dynamics. It is possible that prices could stabilize or even decrease if supply increases or demand shifts. However, the allure of rare and high sought after bourbons may also sustain high prices if the interest and enthusiasm from collectors and enthusiasts remain strong, which we expect to happen. So in other words, <laughs> the secondary market's here to stay. Oh yeah. Get used to it, folks. <laughs> You're not going to go find these bottles as, as easy as you might hope. If you see something in the store, go ahead and pick it up. Don't, uh, don't turn your back on it. If it's a good price unless the, you know, but there's a lot of liquor stores that have secondary prices. Yeah. You know, they're they're not selling retail or slightly above retail. They they have full sometimes above secondary prices. Absolutely. Well, there's plenty of great whiskeys out there, even if they don't have that uh, elusive name mm -hmm. or bottle that you've been trying to get your hands on. That's you right. can find some great whiskeys. So all right. The next question had to do with Pappy and the availability of it. Uh 
uncertain and difficult to predict, although market trends would suggest that production will expand and more will become available. Whether or not that will outpace demand is highly unlikely. So there you go. <laughs> Chatty knows exactly what you just said, right. basically, is that uh, we expand production to, we expect production to increase, more bottles to be available, but it will not outpace demand. What did you find out? I mean, my take is that they're going to produce a lot more pappy. Maybe not a lot more, but they're going to produce more. And it, the demand is so high. So many people want it so sought after that I don't even know that they could produce enough at this point. Yeah. Summary. Ready for the summary? It's important to note that even with potential changes in availability and demand for uh, the demand for pappy will likely outpace production. So demand will remain high. Production will, will lag. Collectors and enthusiasts and those seeking unique and premium bourbons will continue to seek out these products. And that will continue to drive the price and the availability of Pappy long into the future. So while we're on the topic of Pappy, let me ask you this, Jim. For Lot B, if any of the listeners, because I get, I get people text me all the time. Should I pay this much for this bottle? Should I pay this much for this bottle? How much? Lot B, what would be the most that you would be willing to pay? Not, not what the secondary market says you should pay, but what would be the most that you would pay for Lot B? To have it on my shelf at the bar and be able to treat my guests to a pour of it. Mm-hmm. 150. I think that's fair. Yeah. I do. Yeah. Not because it's worth it. Not because it's some Mm -hmm. superior bourbon. But because uh, how nice is it to be able to treat somebody to a pappy who's never had one? You know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That would be my reason for it. All right. Next question. I asked Chatty to summarize the best way possible the expected growth in the industry. Because the biggest question that bourbon lovers ask is, how long, when's the bubble going to burst? How long is this going to last? Is it, is this it? Are we we getting ready to bust? Is it going to, yeah, well, none of us know. And neither does Chatty, really. But predictions can be made based on trends. And I gave a lot of data to this, but I asked for a summary response. So in this case, I said limit it to two sentences. Because I wanted to have the answer in two quick sentences. And I basically said, what's going to happen with the bourbon industry? Is it going to continue to grow or is it going to bust? What's going to happen with growth? And she said, it is highly likely that the bourbon industry will continue to experience growth over the next five years. Fueled by increasing consumer interest, expanding international markets, and the enduring popularity of bourbon as a versatile and premium spirit. However, the exact pace and magnitude of this growth will depend on various factors, including market conditions, regulatory developments, and the ability of distilleries to adapt to evolving consumer preferences. 
I mean, we've seen distilleries adapt to finishing, right? Finishing oh, has yeah. been a major impact on the industry, right? And they've done a really good job mm -hmm. at it, I think, as a whole. I do, too. And I, I've seen a tremendous amount of uh, thinking out of the box and exploration and just doing some crazy cool stuff with whiskeys. Yeah, I you you know the one that it, that I always go to is that the absinthe finished like oh yeah, who would have thought right? And I know you have some that you're looking forward to somebody doing someday. Yeah, absolutely. I, this is a this is just an amazing thing. I mean, it, this the the way that it's like a living being that the bourbon industry is like this living being that's growing and, and nobody can truly put their finger on it and say exactly what's going to happen. I think we all have an idea what the trend is and, and it's kind of neat to bring the chat GPT in on this and oh. see what, I mean, had you thought about doing something like this before? So I, I've done quite a bit of research with chat GPT in, in many areas and, and I did, uh, I'd say back in December, I did throw quite a bit in there and I asked questions like, what's the most popular bourbon? You know what? And I, I kept everything pretty simple. Yeah. I didn't feed it with a lot of information to, you know, <laughs> to, I just wanted to see what it said. And, you know, a lot of times it will say things like, well, I can't do that um, because it just doesn't have the information yet. Right. But as you feed it, yes, like it, it, it grows. So, I haven't gone in depth as much as you did on those questions, uh, but I've definitely asked about the industry and done some research to see what the results were. I think here's something I'd like to do. I think I'd like to work on my prompts a little bit more. And folks, again, the, the information that you type in and send to the language model to have it predict or perform answers for you is called a prompt. And developing that prompt is the hardest thing in the world, and it requires a bit of skill and knowledge and how to deal with um, language models. And that's called prompt engineering, and it's a real skill level. So there are prompt engineers, people, that's what they do. They learn how to speak the language of the language models, right? And, uh, you know, you can actually get those open AI models to actually write prompts for you if you want. But that gets really deep and dark into it. But the, the point is, is that what I would like to do, I think, is revisit this show in six months using the most recent revision of the generative AI models that are available on open AI. I would like to uh, really, really work on those prompts to make them as viable as possible. And then I like to put a voice to Chatty so she can t answer our questions live. I think it'd be awesome. How cool would that be? I I love the idea of of doing one live where you just you're gonna see see what it says. You know? I know. I mean, yeah. it's it's dangerous because <laughs> you know I mentioned that um, prompt engineering is a very um, very specific skill set, right? But there's also a skill set of the people that, that deal with what comes back from OpenAI. Yeah, when something comes back, when your answer comes back, it has to be analyzed and moderated and proofed 
and right. before it's put out to the public. And that's, that's one right. thing I'm worried a little bit about because if we do this, obviously we're not live, so we don't have to. We can always edit things out, but you want it's called moderation, and you need to moderate the responses because sometimes you know it can get offhand, it can right. get uh, socially incorrect. And things that's like right. that, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean that that, that <laughs> is a big part. And I'll say that's something that that I do at work. You know, everything that I put in to Chat GPT or or Bard or anything else, like it it is very heavily moderated because uh, you have to make sure it's right. Yeah. You can't just trust the machine. I'll I'll give you a great example of something. You know, we we put on. Uh, uh, we put on a conference at the University of Louisville, and uh, uh, our CEO had put in some information and asked for how many days was it from the time we were planning to when the conference was going to happen. And ChatGPT wasn't even close. I mean, it, the days were way off. Yeah. And so it that's just a great example of you know, you have to be careful what you put in. And, and if you're just going to take that information uh, as fact, yep. you know, it's, it's not always And fact, hallucination you know? by the models is a real thing. It happens every single day. We see it all the time in what I work with. So you have to make sure that moderation is a big part of what you do. So if you're in that business, well, just realize if you're going to ask questions, don't take them. Well, don't submit it for your paper at college, guys. Be careful. Because if your professor's really reading them, really reading them, and I'm they're saying most know. of many of them don't, but if they mm -hmm. are, they're going to know. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Well, I don't think that generative AI is going to, um, you know, replace us in the workplace. But we will get replaced in the workplace by people who know how to use generative AI. It'll make us more efficient. That's right. So if, uh, if you have the opportunity to learn a little bit about it and what you do, I would highly suggest it because there may be a young person that comes along that knows how to use it. It's going to put you out of a job. I have a feeling there's going to be some young folks making a lot of money. Yep. Absolutely. Making a lot of money, figuring out how to use all these tools. Yep. All right, Brian. It's been a great show. Really enjoyed yeah. it. A lot it's of fun. Good to be back with you. Yeah. I feel like it's been a long time. I mean, uh, it's been, for me, it's been 18 days. No. 20, 22 days since I did anything with the Bourbon Road. And, you know, it's great to have somebody like you covering for me. I really appreciate that. Well, I hope I didn't didn't let you down or anything no you didn't let so. me down you absolutely didn't and you know we we didn't get as many social media posts out and blog posts and all that kind of stuff folks we'll try to catch up on that here shortly but you know uh, it's good to, to take care of personal business and get it done and get busy again so it's exciting all right well you can find the bourbon road on all social media outlets you can find us on facebook instagram twitter youtube you can find us on TikTok. You can definitely find us on a private Facebook group called the Bourbon Roadies. And Brian, how do they figure out what's going on with the Bourbon Roadies? Yeah, I mean, uh, you just want to search us on on Facebook, and then you're going to answer a few questions. 
you know, are you 21? Do you like bourbon? And do you, do you agree to uh, play nice? And one question that's not on there, but we always like to bring it up. And we just talked about the secondary market. Just don't make any deals on the bourbon road. If somebody's selling something, it's probably a scam. Uh, somebody that squeaked through the cracks and that we need to have removed from the group. But just be very careful. Yeah, I mean, we, we see it so much. We see people get taken advantage of trying to buy allocated bourbons online. It's the biggest scam in the world. Nine times out of ten, you're going to get taken. If you're not face-to-face -face with an individual and making the trade in daylight, you're going you're gonna to probably get taken. This has been taken. going on for years. Yeah, it has. This is not something new to the, the Bourbon Road Facebook page. This is... Uh, I've, I've seen it for over 10 years. We do a show every single week, every Wednesday. You can expect an episode from the Bourbon Road podcast. It'll always be something really cool. Sometimes we'll have a real guest on. Sometimes we'll have an AI guest on. But at the end of the day, it'll be a fun show. I think you'll enjoy it. I think we're due for another music episode here pretty soon. What I do you think, think we are. Yeah. I love those. They're a lot of fun. Or, or, or a chef. I'm, I'm Chef up for would some, be great. I'm up for some good food. So maybe a bartender. Yeah, there you go. Get. get one uh, of I'd our love. I tell you what, I'd love to learn to make a couple of cocktails that I can do at home, real easy, mm -hmm. that are different than the standard old fashioned or or, or uh, yeah Manhattan. I'd love to learn something new that I could really enjoy. Well, let's let's put that in our notes. Let's do it. All right. Again, every single week you can find us uh, on. What, Apple Podcasts? You can find us on Spotify. You can find us on, heck, you can say Alexa. Play YouTube. the Bourbon Road Podcast. YouTube. Yeah. We're out there everywhere. Mm -hmm. Everywhere you get your podcast, you will find the Bourbon Road. And we'd love to have you listen to us every single week. They just need to make sure to do what? You got to click that subscribe button. Absolutely. That way you get that bell notification or that message or that, uh, that text message, whatever it might be. You'll get that notification that a new episode's come out. And it's time to sit down, grab a pour, and relax and listen to the Bourbon Road. All right. We like to hear from our listeners. So if you've got some ideas for a show, if you've got an idea for a guest or a bottle, or if there's a distillery in your hometown doing it right, let us know about it. We'd love to get them on the show. It's that season. It's that season for uh, enjoying your time outside, having a few pours. Uh, you know, in this time of year, maybe even mixing a few highballs, right? That's right. Because it can get kind of hot out there and you want to enjoy the weather, but you still want to have your bourbon. So I might don't have be shy. one or two of those tonight. Don't be shy. Put a little something in it. Put an ice cube in it. Mm -hmm. Put a little bit of uh, Diet Coke or whatever it is you drink, but don't, not in the pappy, right? Or not, not, in, not, what, in, what pappy was it? not in the uh, foolproof, right? Weller foolproof. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, be selective. A little selective. But I mean, drink it, it your way. If you like it that way, drink it your way. That's right. If it's your bottle, you do what you like. And we, we fully support that. We hope to see you next week. Until then, we'll see you down the Bourbon Road. Bourbon.